Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Talking the Cure, Hogan Lovell's Life Sciences and Healthcare Podcast. Today, we sit down with Phil Katz, Jim Johnson and David Horowitz to talk about the coronavirus, but in detail on the implication of the pharmaceutical industry and the Food and Drug Administration in the US. As always, I'm trying to keep the intro short as we're going to each other after this, do some housekeeping. Without further ado, let's sit down and talk the cure. Hi, everyone. This is Phil Katz. I'm the partner leading the pharmaceutical and biotechnology regulatory practice here at Hogan Lovells. And I'm hosting today a podcast that I think we should call What in the World is Happening? I say that because we, we're not going to be talking about the presidential election in the United States. We're going to be talking about the coronavirus, but not just in an abstract way. We really want to focus a little bit on the implications for the pharmaceutical industry and for the Food and Drug Administration. And to do that today, I have two of my partners, both of whom are former senior officials at FDA and have now been partners at the firm for a number of years. That's Jim Johnson and David Horowitz. They're both very active in the implications of this and helping companies think strategically about how to respond to the situation. And that's a little bit about what we'd like to talk about. As many folks would already know, on the 10th of March, FDA announced that effective immediately, the agency is postponing most foreign inspections through at least April of this year, and it might go further. What I hope we'll be able to do is talk a little bit about what else FDA is doing and what the implications are both for the agency and for the pharmaceutical industry and think a little bit about not only the challenges that that poses, but also perhaps some of the opportunities. So let me start, Jim, by asking you, because I know you've been very active with our practice in China, and that's where this all started. What are your thoughts on the implications and the issues that are arising at the very start? Yeah, thanks, Phil. So certainly, you know, this is something that manufacturers in China and, you know, global pharma has been dealing with that relies on China for a number of weeks, if not months. FDA has already pulled staff out of China as well as postponed inspections going on there indefinitely. We still don't know when they're going to start doing inspections there. So this is certainly something we've seen already, but, you know, um, FDA taking the next step of broadening it to all global international inspections is certainly something not to take lightly and certainly something that FDA has thought hard about. So a couple of thoughts. One is that the implications of the coronavirus were already being felt weeks ago, obviously, before FDA made this statement. And I want to come back to sort of the broader implications as you just raised it. But I also want to turn to you, David, and ask you first, you were at one point head of the Office of Compliance at CEDAR. And so you've got a very bird's eye view, I think, of how the agency is looking at this. What are your thoughts on the implications for FDA of what it is that they announced and what that's going to mean for how they do their work? Thanks, Phil. I, I did see some emergency preparedness and response activities when I was the head of CEDAR Compliance, uh, as well as when I was deputy general counsel at HHS, and I coordinated all legal issues relating to Ebola across FDA and CDC and NIH. And there are many similarities here. And it's easy to see that this initial announcement from FDA about foreign inspections, it's bigger than just foreign travel, and it's bigger than just foreign inspections. It's about FDA deciding that it needs to cease to rely on face-to-face -face interactions with the regulated parties and the public. 
So FDA is not only going to be cutting back, except in mission critical cases with foreign inspections, it'll apply to other foreign travel and inspections as well. It'll mean probably very few or no advisory committees and very few face-to-face -face meetings. And that has some implications for the information that the agency will have to make its regulatory decisions going forward. Talk me a little bit more about that. What kind of implications do you see in terms of FDA's the information that's available to them and the manner in which they make this, because they're going to still have to make decisions. Everything can't just be on hold. So FDA will do its best to use other means of obtaining the information that it needs, right? Telephone, when possible, video conference, and in many ways that will be sufficient. There will be other instances, and Jim, I'd like to talk more about the paper inspections, where FDA will get some information, but it won't be the same thing as a face-to-face -face inspection. And in general, my concern is that when the agency has less information, it tends to become more conservative and it will be more difficult for the agency to take chances. And as a result, some of our clients may be very frustrated, especially when things are taking more time because the agency is busier and their resources are wearing thin. That's a really interesting point. I think you're absolutely correct that in the absence of all of the information that it would normally have, the agency is just going to be more conservative is, is part of what you're saying, right? Yes. So, so Jim, as, as David just pointed out, a piece of what FDA is going to be having to do differently is relying upon paper. Well, I don't know if it's actually paper or if it's electronically sent documents, but much more of documents review rather than um, facilities inspections. Talk to me a little bit about how you would see FDA implementing that. And, and perhaps more importantly, what do you think the implications are going to be for companies? As I mentioned, you know, we, we've seen a bit of this already with how FDA has been engaging in activities in China. And certainly, you know, FDA always has the ability to ask for documents in advance of or in lieu of an inspection. We generally see that in the form of information requests after inspections, oftentimes when a decision's been made, but further information is required from CEDAR compliance or the field offices. We see it a lot as well historically on preparation for inspections to get an advanced read or to make inspections more efficient. You, know, you do see requests coming in for those records ahead of time as well. But what we're moving to potentially here, particularly with a block on all international inspections now, is really a need to do a desk review inspection, where it's not just supplementing an inspection or helping prepare for an inspection, but actually potentially taking a place of an inspection. As David pointed out, that's very different than being on the site. And so the things to be thinking about really are, how do you manage that? Companies are very good in this highly regulated industry of, of managing FDA inspections in person, but this will be a bit novel. The other thing that I'm interested in seeing is how FDA will handle it. You know, will FDA handle this as an inspection? Will they issue a, a 482, a notice of inspection? Will they have closeout meetings each day or provide feedback as that review is going on? Will they issue a 483, a list of FDA observations at the end of that, and actually close the inspection? 
Will they issue and draft establishment inspection report and follow through on classifying that inspection? And these are all important because that's really kind of the due process when it comes to inspections. It gives you clarity on what FDA views and gives you an opportunity to respond and hopefully address any concerns. So let me just ask you, do you think there's a real possibility that they won't? I mean, you're raising this question. I'm thinking, well, of course, they're going to issue 482s and of course, they're going to issue 483s because otherwise they're not doing inspections. And if they're not doing inspections, how are they going to be approving product, for example? Traditionally, when we've seen information requests, particularly from CEDAR compliance, but other other parts of the agency as well, FDA is not you know, viewing that as a new inspection. I, I think traditionally FDA views that as a voluntary disclosure or a cooperative disclosure to provide additional information, not a formal inspection. I think it would be beneficial for industry if FDA in, in these instances did treat them as formal inspections. Again, it provides certainty to industry and, and certainly the company being inspected, but it also allows you to move forward and not be stagnant, needing a more formal inspection a year or two from now. And I think that was sort of my point, which is if they have to come up with an alternative path forward, otherwise everything stands still. But David, let me ask you, clearly I think FDA needs to find a path forward, but there are going to be legal implications for what it is that the agency can do and what they can't do, what leeway they have. You know, maybe if they don't call it a 483, if they don't call it an inspection, then it doesn't serve a purpose that an inspection is required or the requirement to inspect somebody every couple of years. What do you think as a former senior legal officer at HHS are the legal issues that FDA is going to have to grapple with separate and apart from organizational or practical? So one of the questions FDA is going to look at is, um, is a pre-approval inspection actually necessary in order to approve a drug product? putting aside biologics now, which raise some additional complications. And there is precedent in the past for FDA interpreting the statute not to specifically require an inspection, provided that there can be adequate assurance that the product is being made in conformity with CGMP. Um, So it may be that that barrier is not impossible to overcome. But remember, if FDA is going to deviate from its standard approach of a pre-approval inspection, or perhaps reliance on inspections of our foreign regulatory counterparts, FDA is going to have to be very comfortable or very desperate. So they may be very desperate in a situation where there's a drug product that literally is going to turn around the COVID-19 outbreak. But for most drug approvals, they will not be very desperate. And then they'll have to decide, do they have enough information? Do they feel comfortable to take a chance to go ahead and approve based on the desk audit or the other information they have before And I believe that when FDA is stretched thin, when there are fewer resources, and I include information as the primary resource a regulator has, fewer resources, fewer people, more work, they tend to pull inward and become more conservative. So I've seen FDA operate in two modes, often at the same time, advancing public health and protecting public. And what I'm seeing here is that if FDA feels that it's stretched too thin, it may not be able to have the resources to advance public health and may turn inward and focus more on protecting public health. And the last thing I want to say on that is the March 10th notice uh, informing about the suspension of foreign inspections. Very interesting to me because 
most of the text is not about foreign inspections and how FDA is going to, to handle that. Most of the text is about protecting public health by making sure bad products don't get into the country. They're going to target importation and they're going to prevent bad actors who skirt the law and port shop. And they're going to make sure that there are no fraudulent products that come into the country without FDA taking action. That's an interesting perspective that, that uh, I hadn't really thought about with regard to the notice, but you're right. FDA is going to have to find a way to reassure the public, not only as to its safety, but ultimately that new drugs, new treatments, therapies are actually moving their way through. And you've talked about how we should expect the agency to become more conservative. You've also mentioned how we should expect things to go more slowly because it's going to be a different way of operating. And let's bear in mind that the whole notion of what the coronavirus is doing as to people's availability, first off, people might get sick. Second off, people might be not coming into work and working from home and all of those implications on just how a large organization works. And you've also suggested that part of what companies would need to think about is casting their need, their product, their approval, their whatever it is, uh, casting that in a public health context, I think, because that's going to be part of how FDA does its triage or its prioritization of what it is going to deal with with its, with its strained resources. So, Jim, let, let me ask you, think a little bit about what that means for companies. What should companies be doing to deal with the side effects of all of this, the downturn, but also what do companies need to do? Are, are there opportunities to take advantage of this? And I don't mean that in a craven way, but I just mean recognizing that we now have a, a different set of rules for some period of time. What should a strategically oriented company be thinking about? Yeah, I do think as far as what is presented here and, and really, you know, the opportunity that's presented in terms of kind of a new reality, at least for a short time of how FDA is going to be conducting inspections. And and I also think that this is not just a reality internationally. I mean, I, I do think that this will be a potential reality domestically as well. I mean, I, I will not be surprised if at some point, you know, we get a similar notice that FDA is pulling back domestically on inspections as well. And so thinking through that is, to David's point, a, a big area of focus on this will be pre-approval inspections. I mean, pre-approval inspections are a key part of the drug approval process. But FDA always has the discretion to waive that. And so, you know, companies need to be thinking about how do we present our documentation, both our ability to commercially manufacture the product, what documentation shows that, and from our application, our CMC section, our application integrity, what raw data FDA would want to see, the types of things that FDA would do normally on the ground at an on-site inspection, how can we most efficiently provide that to FDA? And then what's the hook? Why discretion here? Why do a desk review? Why rely on mutual recognition of a foreign country's inspection of that site? Why rely on your historical compliant, you know, good compliance history here? Why can you trust us, basically? And, and be thinking strategically about that to be efficient to make sure that things keep moving, to make sure you're hitting your action dates, your PDUFA dates, your GDUFA dates. That's really going to be key. And it is something that I think FDA will be open to, will be moving on. And, you know, historically, FDA has been creative when they've needed to be to approve products. That's not going to be every product. You know, FDA has got to prioritize things. And I think 
you know, what companies to be thinking about strategically is how are we that company? How is this product the one that FDA will, will move through without an on-site inspection? Okay, so I think what I hear you both saying is that part of this is going to be putting your product in the context of why it should be given this exception or should be given this priority. But I also hear you both saying, and you should also think about how can I make this as easy as possible for FDA? How can I anticipate what concerns they're going to have by virtue of the fact that they're not doing the physical inspection that they used to, by virtue of the fact that they're not having an in-person meeting? I mean, I know all three of us have talked about this before. There are real good reasons that you want to have in-person meetings with FDA sometimes and not video meetings and not phone conferences and not written responses. There are real benefits to being in the room and having a face-to-face conversation. And so folks need to be thinking about how to position themselves in a way that makes it easier for FDA to see them as a priority. Um, and position their way and present themselves to FDA in a way that imposes the least amount of burden on the agency so that they, A, see a reason for a path forward and B, see an easier rather than a harder path forward. I think that's a good place to bring this to a close. We've talked about some of the challenges. We've talked about some of the opportunities for companies. And obviously, I want to invite our listeners, if they're so inclined, to um, send an email or pick up the phone and call Jim Johnson or David Horowitz or me, your humble host, Phil Katz, to talk about this because we really are well positioned to help folks make their way through this difficult situation for however long it will last. So thank you for tuning in and we hope to talk to you again soon. That's it for today. If you have further questions for Phil, Jim, and David, reach out via homelevels.com. In addition, so you're not missing out on any information regarding other industry developments as well as our activities in this sector, follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Leave a like, leave a comment. Let us know what you would like to hear about on the next episode. Thank you for tuning in. We are going to return with more in about two weeks. So please join us again when we're talking The Cure.